So um, since we've been up here, I think uh, a number of people in the church, and they've told us about this, have been on some carnival cruises and some Disney cruises, some cruising folks up here, okay? They want to get down to the Caribbean and Mexico and do some cruising. And so whenever, I, whenever they get back, I'm always, I always like to hear their stories about what they've seen. There's some, I've seen some, there's some beaches down there in, I think, Jamaica or the Bahamas that have pigs on it. Okay, that's pretty neat. Um, I've seen some of the amazing food, the cool towel animals that they put on the bed. It's pretty neat. And every time that I hear, see folks go on a cruise, I'm always like, that sounds nice. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jealous of what of them or envious. I'm glad for them. You know, rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay, you do some rejoicing on the cruise. But I'm always like, man, I want to go to there. Okay, I mean, that's like, that sounds good. I want to eat that. I want to see that. I want to experience this culture. I want to do that. Have you ever, have you done that before? Have you seen this soldier? You're like, yeah, I'm there. I want to do that. Here's what happens. We've been, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in the first part, he talks about these beatitudes. This is in Matthew chapter 5, will be this morning. Matthew chapter 5, he talks about, he sits down, and he speaks to the people, and the very first part of the sermon is Jesus unpacking and unfolding for us kind of a tour guide of what the kingdom of God is like, and the people who are in the kingdom, what is their character, and what are their privileges in the kingdom, and he does it in such a way that to create a longing in us, just like a travel program or hearing about someone's cruise, would give us that desire to go experience a culture and experience a place different from our own, but to really experience it and to know the character of the people there and the privileges of the people there. That's what he does when he lays out the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the thing. We can enter into God's kingdom by faith in Christ. And in so doing, we have a new character and new privileges. And when Jesus shows us these things, it creates in us this desire and longing, just like when we hear about the cruise and we're like, I want to go there. When we hear Jesus talk about these beatitudes, even though some of them are hard and strange to us and counter to what the culture deems as beautiful and good and great, we desire now by the Spirit, say, God, make this true in my life. And so if you have your worship guide that we handed out, on the back I put some notes just so you can follow along because there's eight Beatitudes. I got the first four from last week on there, so we won't no, no need to go back through them, but I will read through them. And then we've got four more today, and we hopefully this will create a longing in us to know the character and have the character and the privileges of the kingdom realized in our life today. And so we get to verse, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse one or yeah verse one it says this seeing the crowds jesus went up on the mountain and he sat down and the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying and here's where the beatitude starts these blessed statements of those in the kingdom their character and their privileges blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And last week we understood this means those who realize their spiritual poverty, they can't add anything to their salvation, but they trust in God. Those people who don't, aren't self-righteous but trust God to make them right, they have a part in the kingdom of God. Second thing we see is blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now this is not blessed are those who had a difficult situation and had a death in the family or, or have had, uh, experienced great loss or illness. That is not what he's talking about, but those who mourn over their sin and the sins of those around them. And here's what Jesus says, blessed are those people, for they shall be comforted. 
They will know the comfort of Christ and full comfort to come and when the kingdom is fully established when he comes. In verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, the gentle, the humble, the compassionate, for they shall inherit the earth. And then we go and we see in verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then we pick up on our Beatitudes from today, which we're going to begin in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus laying out this, he's like, these are countercultural things to the rest of the world. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Here's what's going to happen. And then he lays out in verse 7, blessed are the merciful. What is mercy? I'm going to tell you what mercy is. I'm sitting on my couch, minding my own business, probably watching sports because that seems like me. And I hear my son go, Matt, he didn't say Matt, I'm going to be weird. He goes, Dad, I turned around and he shoots me in the face with a Nerf gun. I was livid. I mean, like, point blank. Like, he turned around, so I turned around, I was like, ha, ha, boom. And it wasn't here, it was like here. And, like, I wanted to strangle him, okay, because it's abrupt, now, a Nerf gun doesn't hurt. I'm a real man. I can handle a Nerf gun, okay? But when you're not expecting a Nerf gun flick to the face, it's not great. And I was like, Rrr! instinct murder, okay? Jesus. Holy Spirit was like, don't, okay? So did I ground him forever for a month? No. Mercy won. Did not get what he deserved. <laughs> Talking to? Yes. He didn't. He immediately... As he was doing it, it was funny about him. He realized, I have made a terrible decision. His heart was broken. Mercy is not destroying him for shooting me unsuspectedly in the face with a Nerf gun. True story. Mercy definition. Well, first off, you're looking for the definition of merciful. It's the act of showing mercy. Great. That helped, right? Merciful, the, the definition of mercy is this. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is in their power to punish them. And God has the right to punish sin. You realize that, right? The holy God who created everything, the earth is his and the fullness thereof, he has the power and authority to, to punish sin, and he will do it rightly and justly because he is God and he is good. Here we see that God expects those in the kingdom, those who by faith have trusted Christ and have entered in to, this, to heaven coming to earth and his kingdom coming, those who've entered in to be merciful, to share that characteristic with him, to show mercy and compassion towards other people. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, the other time this word merciful appears in the, in the New Testament, the only other time, it's in reference to Jesus, and it says in Hebrews 2:17 it says for this reason he had to made him he made let me say let me start over sorry words jumbled it's ver, Hebrews 2:17 says for this reason he had to be like them Jesus had to be like human beings fully human in every way in order that he might be a merciful 
and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we see this action, this characteristic of those in the kingdom is supposed to emulate Jesus who had great mercy on those who deserved death, but in his good mercy, he came to earth and provided atonement through his blood. And that is the type of mercy that his people should be characterized by mercifulness, that we don't give people what they deserve, but we have look on people with compassion and tenderness and love and have mercy on people. That is not a quality that our, our world looks on favorably. You show them no mercy. Somebody's got, somebody did, does you wrong, you do them wrong back. Eye for an eye all the time, never any mercy. Never any compassion. But Jesus' people are supposed to be characterized by mercy. And then, so that's their character, but what's their privilege? We see in verse 7, for they shall receive mercy. The merciful will receive mercy. And I'm going to argue this as well. The, merc the merciful are those who have received mercy first before they can hand it out because then they know what mercy is. Now, Jesus tells this great story. In Matthew chapter 18, it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. You kind of get where we're going with this. And here's the story in a nutshell. Go back and read it. This is Matthew chapter 18, but we don't have time to jump right into it, but I'll tell you the story. There's this guy who owed millions of dollars. If you had a $10 million debt, would you feel, feel, feel real good about paying that off? I wouldn't. I don't think that's ever going to happen. So if I had a $10 million debt, it might as well be a billion. I can't pay it back, right? Maybe you're independently wealthy. God bless you, okay? But you may be $10 million, like, that's chump change. But just for the sake of argument, this guy owes a, owes a debt he could not pay. Let's say $10 million. He owes this great amount of debt. Jesus tells about this man. He owes it to a king. The king's going to throw him in jail. In fact, he's going to have his family sold because during that time period, that was part of the way you could settle debts was to sell the person into servant, servanthood or slavery. And he begged. So the man who owed this debt he could not pay hit his knees, and he begged. He begged, Master, please be merciful to me and, and cancel my debt. And the, and the master looks on the guy and has mercy and pity and says, Your debt is forgiven. A guy you can imagine, Woohoo! Could you imagine having all of your debt just like you go and you pull up your mortgage on <laughs> on the internet and it's like 0, 0.00 like you owe nothing on it. Yes, the car payment, you just got up, you turned you, you went on and looked online, you went on or wherever you got your your stuff through and you open it up and it's paid off. Would you do a happy dance? Oh. You have not seen the jig that I would do, okay? That is coming, like, the debts are clear. How great would that feel? And then we have the next part of the thing. As soon as the man leaves, rejoicing, he remembers, hey, you know what? There's this guy that owes me 50 bucks. So what does he do? He goes and he grabs the guy around his neck. Jesus says, starts choking him out. And he's like, yeah, this is Bible, okay? So he's choking him out. And he's saying, give me my money. And the guy says exactly the same thing. Be merciful to me. And the guy's like, no mercy. Give me my money. I'll break your knees. I'll choke you out. The other servants see it. They report it to the master. You know what the master does? He calls in the guy who, who used to owe the debt that he could not pay. He calls him in and he says, what? 
you wicked servant. You've been forgiven so much, and now you do this wicked thing, you're going to go to jail, and you're going to pay for every last cent, and you're going to be tortured. And what is Jesus showing? Those who have been forgiven and been shown mercy are merciful because they see God's mercy. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, happy are the merciful, approved by God are the merciful. Why? They have received mercy, and they shall receive mercy in its fullness. And so part of the character of the kingdom of God is, is in the people in the kingdom, believers, is that we will be merciful. Let me take you, where does mercy go? Mercy is forgiveness when people do you wrong. Mercy is, is not holding on to every little slight in family life. Mercy can be seen and displayed by the people of God at a restaurant really easily because you've been there before and the service has been awful. And you know what your immediate reaction is? Give me my tea now. What's your problem? Bring it over. Why are you so bad at this? And mercy, that's why I'm thankful for my wife, because she has mercy more than most. And she's like, remember, Matt, mercy. I'm yelling at somebody when I'm driving. And she's like, what if that person, Matt, is trying to get to the hospital? I was like, I'm about to send him to the hospital, Amy. <laughs> and she's like, mercy. Mercy, and that's what those who've received mercy are characterized by mercy. You can show mercy in your family life. You can show mercy at a restaurant. You can show mercy in all these different ways. Instead of calling the waiter over or calling the manager over for the waiter or waitress, it's the mercy of, of bearing with them, trying to see all the possible elements that could be there. See, there's a difference between mercy and grace, too. Mercy is not calling the manager over. Grace is giving them a big tip in despite of themselves. That's what the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is what the people of God should be characterized by because we have received great mercy. You know, our sin debt could not be paid. But Christ picked up our bill, the perfect, holy Son of God, picked up our bill, lived the sinless life we could not, and therefore we see that those in the kingdom are characterized by mercy, and they show mercy. Secondly, we see here, Jesus would say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then verse 8, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you think of pure in heart, you may go Ned Flanders immediately. Highly holy neighbor, you know, okay? You may go right there, and you think of this kind of kumbaya, Christian, vanilla person, okay? Just this person, the holier than thou, the one where you get road rage, and they're like, and you should be holy, brother, and you want to throw something at them. The one that when you think of pure in heart, they're, like thinking like, they're the ones that you, that, that you go and you see a TV show, and it's like, I don't watch TV because it's unholy, I don't watch football because it's violent. I mean, whatever, okay? The person that is always trying to Jesus juke you and to showing you how unholy you are and how holy they are, that is not the pure in heart. Cleanliness of heart is one thing. Clean, a clean heart is one way you could also describe pure, unadulterated, unmixed with contaminant. Pure in heart. Heart being not necessarily that your heart is plaque-free, that you have a, uh, you don't have any blockages. That's not the case, thank God, okay? 
We live in the South, and like heart blockages are like a rite of passage, okay, with the fried food. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about the inward being, your inward seat of emotions, your inward self. So blessed are those who are pure in heart, that are inwardly holy, or at least inwardly seek God. This is opposed to those who are outwardly clean, but inwardly filthy. Okay? So Jesus talking when he says the pure in heart, blessed are these people approved by God or the pure in heart. They're the ones that inwardly are pure. Outward appearance is secondary. Outward thought is secondary to the inward holiness. Now, the Pharisees were the exact opposite. And the other time Jesus would use the word clean or pure in heart would be in reference to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Okay? And it was in this section called Woe to the Pharisees, if you have the little Bible headings in yours, which means bad stuff, judgment and pain on the Pharisees, okay? And so Jesus would, in Matthew 23, 25, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who knew all the right answers and had the books and had the outward righteousness. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrite is one that, that, that wears a mask, who's one way, acts one way over here and not the other, and acts a different way in another place. They can, they're two-faced. They, can, they, they act nice to your face and talk behind your back in the other second. We know hypocrites, and a lot of times, most times, we've been a hypocrite. So he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup. So picture a cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, then the outside also may be clean. So I have these little, if you know anything about me, I'm well-intentioned, but horribly forgetful. Okay, maybe that we got so many, I got so many things going on, irons in the fire, but everybody does, so I don't know why, but I just forget things a lot of times. I don't try to forget the big things, but I forget a lot of the small things, okay? And so here's what happened. I carry around these little thermos cups, you know, and I put coffee in them, and then I forget where I put them. And so the other day, I, last Sunday, I came in with a green one, and this Wednesday night, it's back there in the back, okay? That's the one. Don't look in it, because I'm going somewhere with it, okay? So I left it right here. And I was getting ready for youth, and I found it. Well, I started putting, like, real cream in my coffee, okay? And I left it here for days, and I opened that thing up, and I was like, oh, no. It talked to me. It was like, hello. You miss me? I mean, it was, like, it was filthy. And it, like, gave me the gag, like, the wretch, you know, because it hit me. And I washed it out, but it still got this funk film in it, okay? I'm going to have to, like, bleach that thing, Okay. So Jesus is saying these Pharisees are like those who look outwardly clean, and they clean the cup or the plate, but on the inside, the part of the cup that matters, the part that you will be consuming things from, is filthy and dirty. And he says the Pharisees, because they are outwardly holy, but inward, they are full of sin. And there's examples throughout the scriptures that these Pharisees were outwardly very religious and holy, and they would keep the word outwardly, but inside they did not have compassion for people, they regularly cheated people, and they did not have an inward righteousness that resulted in an out, out, an outward actions. They had this outward action only that they had a divided heart, if you will. They wanted people to, to applaud them and to think highly of them. And Jesus says, no, the, 
it's like drinking out of a cup that's got the crusty stuff in there. If I offered you a cup that was dirty on the outside, you had an option between drinking of a, a cup that was dirty on the outside but squeaky clean, sparkling in the middle, or drinking out of that thing back there that looks fine on the outside but looks like a science experiment in the middle, what would you choose? Unless you are super weird, you are taking the cup that's clean on the inside is what matters. So Jesus declares woe to them and says, get it right. Don't have an undivided heart. Be holy on the inside and let it come to the outside. And then he would go on further, and he makes this. This is even a, an escalated statement in Matthew 23. He says in the same passage, just a verse later, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are, fu- are full of dead people's bones and uncleanliness. He escalates. He says, you're like these tombs that are beautifully painted, but you know what's on the inside of a tomb? A dead, rotting corpse. That's exactly what you were like. Woe to you. You have this divided heart. But Jesus, those in the kingdom are not just concerned with outwardly appearance. In fact, that takes a secondary nature because the, what Jesus is getting at is those who are in the kingdom, those who are trusted Christ, those who have, who have been born again, they, have, they want purity and desire purity on the inside that flows to the outside. The outside doesn't matter as much as the cup being clean on the inside. Now, here is their privilege we see in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Go back to the passage we read as our call to worship today, Psalm, 20, Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, whom shall, I, who, whom shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can see God? And who shall stand in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So who can see God? And, and Paul would tell us in 1 Timothy 6, 16, that God alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. So God is so holy and glorious that you, that you can't really look on him in our unholy state without an intermediary or a go-between. And the psalmist asks, who can stand before God? And the answer is only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. It's a problem. Only the holy can see God. Only the pure in heart shall see God. What are you banking on this? I mentioned it earlier. Your righteousness, and this goes back to being poor in spirit, your righteousness has to come through Christ and Christ alone. That you trust his finished work, his death, his burial, his resurrection to make you right. And in so doing, then you pursue righteousness, not so that for the applause of men, like, look at how holy that guy is. Look at how holy that lady is. No, what you're doing is you're pursuing a relationship with Jesus and desire to live holy from the inside out. See, you know, it's very easy to do a good deed begrudgingly. You know that, right? 
Because if anybody's ever called you for a favor in the middle of the night, especially somebody who tests your ever-loving patience because all they do is take, 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 and they never give, 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 and you get that phone call in the middle of the night out of obligation, you might get up and help. But inwardly, you are full of cursing and kicking and fighting, and I'll cut you, but you're being nice on the outside. And Jesus, now listen, you should do none of those things outwardly, okay? That's bad, okay? You might go to jail, okay, if you do what's on the inside, outside. But Jesus is concerned inwardly first. Secondary matters. The outward actions matter, but first, deal with who you are. That's this. As a pastor, when people find out I'm a pastor, almost immediately it gets awkward, I don't know, it could be personal, but I'm, I'm, I've, I've talked to other pastors the same way, but it gets, and it gets weird, and I'll tell you why it gets weird, because they're always like, I'm, I'm good! I give to the poor! I help out at soup kitchens! <laughs> You're like, cool. You, you find Jesus to be a great treasure? I help people. I'm good. Are you? Is that what really matters? Are you, seeking, are you seeking to be good and holy and moral because you want to honor God with your life? That's the difference. Those who are poor, have, who are poor in spirit, who, own the, who have possessed part of the kingdom of God, they seek purity because they, they know the one acceptance they need is God, and they want to see God, and they want to know God, and their actions flow out of wanting to know God. They shall see God. And make no mistake about this, heaven... Or heaven come to earth, the new kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, being with God, knowing God, is not about being good. It's not about getting out of hell free. It's not about anything else but getting to see and know the glory of God. God is the goal. He is. Knowing God in Christ is the goal. So when you say the pure in heart, those who desire righteousness inwardly, who desire to let to be pure inward to please God, they will see God, which is the ultimate goal of faith, is to see and know God. Your faith will be deeper and more robust and life-changing when you realize your goal is not avoidance of future pain and suffering in hell, but the joy, the far surpassing joy and satisfaction of knowing God. It will change your whole thinking. God is what you need and want. Blessed are, the pu- blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is alliterating because he goes, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. In 2009, I was in Haiti. My, bro- my uh, brother and sister-in-law got married over there, and um, Next to the place we were staying, we were staying in a school. Next to the place we were staying was a UN compound. UN peacekeepers were on the ground. These guys were from Chile, all right, they spoke Spanish. I took Spanish in high school. I don't speak Spanish very well. I know a few things. I know a couple jokes in Spanish. I thought I would go talk to these guys, and we did. We walked right over there, and lo and behold, they thought, this is hilarious. <laughs> this guy thinks he can speak Spanish, but before long, we were inside the UN compound, and you can actually go on my Facebook page and see this. They let me man a 50 caliber machine gun. They did not let me shoot it. 
but I got to man it. I had the helmet on and everything. One of the great experiences of my life, okay? I got this picture. I got this stupid, like, fan, like one of those, like, like you know, personal fans on there. Like, it's, it's like, neon colors, and I got a helmet on, plaid shorts, and I'm like, man in a 50 cal, okay? It's awesome. It's one of my crowning achievements of life. Those UN guys were UN peacekeepers, trying to keep the peace. And a lot of times we think of peace as just as as just military peace, okay? No, no wars. But the peace here, the peacemakers, and, and we can see this from Jesus' ministry, are those who strive for peace with others. It goes back to Romans 12, 18, what Paul would say. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. So the peacemakers are those who try in every situation to live at peace with people, Okay? Secondly, we see this, that they also are involved with the ministry of reconciliation, helping people find peace with God. Those in the kingdom of God have this character and privilege that they want to make peace with other people, not drama, not war, not pick fights, not stir things up, but they want to live as far as it depends on them, live at peace, try to make peace in situations. And secondly, they want to see people know peace with God. And this fits perfectly with Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You've heard this one before. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which is this. God made peace with us through Jesus. He paid for our sins, and so we could justly be accepted into the kingdom because our sins are paid for. He doesn't overlook them. He, the sins are paid for on the cross of Christ. We are reconciled to him, and now we have this ministry of reconciliation. We are helping other people become reconciled to him. So the peacemakers are those who seek peace in their earthly relationships, and they seek to help other people know and make peace with God through Jesus Christ, the only way to have peace with God. And that is a characteristic of the kingdom. And we see this in going on, and the privilege here is that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of or the children of God. Here, just like with the blessed are the merciful, the merciful reflect the character of the God who called them. In this situation, the peacemakers reflect the character of their father, God, who is the ultimate peacemaker. Yes, he punishes sin, absolutely. That is one way he makes peace because he brings all rebellion to an end. But also he makes peace with those through the forgiveness and blood of Jesus. He is a peacemaker. And so, if you ever look at your kids and you know, you're like, you've ever seen that, my wife does this all the time, that's you, Matt. Like, right before bed, Judson, like, something happens. There's a chemical change, and he's like, let's bring stuff! And he's running, he wants to wrestle, he's like pile driving me, he's like super hyper, okay? And he's running all, he's always hyper, but he really gets super hyper. And you know who does that? me, okay? I don't know. I'm like a cocker spaniel sometimes. Like, <laughs> okay? I'm just running around, and I just got like right before bed. It's like a dog, you know, like running around for a while, chasing its tail, and then it's like crash. That, we both do that. And so right before bed, I know all the moms out there hate this. Me and Judge are like, let's wrestle! You know, sweaty. We just had a bath. Bad ideas. That's you. Judson can be a little bit whiny at times, especially when he is hungry. 
We call it hangry, right? That's his mom. She will not tell you any different. He, he will, he, the, the, the sassiest, most talk back he'll do is when he is hungry. Just like his mom, okay? Yeah. He's got long, narrow feet like me. I got a, I'm a short guy with long, narrow feet. But he's got my wife's toes. They're funky. Well, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, jacked up pinky toe. You know, you know what happened with it? Is there a nail on there? I don't know. It's like it's like the the toe is eating the nail. That's you, man. Got a big head, like me. It's getting balder and it looks bigger. Like that can't me. The traits of the parent are seen in the children. That is what we have here in the Sermon on the Mount. People of God, those in the kingdom, are reflecting the peacemaker quality of God, making peace with others, and helping others know peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, how can you be a peacemaker? First, stop stirring stuff up. Peacemakers do not seek drama. They seek to, when possible, live at peace. Peace in church, peace in your home, peace other places. Now, there are sometimes when you have to stand for truth, and that means there will be no peace, okay? Because Jesus did. He, did, he came to bring peace, but also when he brought peace, he stirred the pot. So he said, I came to not bring, at one point he says, I, I came to bring the sword to set people against each other, and that does happen, but he's in the, in the, Ultimately, he's going for peace. But there are so many people that aren't happy unless they're stirring up drama. Teenagers out there, listen, do not stir up drama. Adults out there, do not stir up drama. If there is a statement that can go unsaid, that will absolutely result in drama, don't say it. If you cannot help yourself, write it down. Then shred and burn that statement. There is a lot of pointless drama out there. And there's a lot of people that think their life is not worth living unless the law is called. There's the popo, okay? Every, every, every slight, every issue has to go escalate to 100, okay? And you have to be like, nah, okay, you're going to be out there talking. You're going to be on cops one day because you're out there going, nah, you, you know what she said? And then before you know it, Someone's being tased. That is, that's like the ultimate. But you know what stirring up stuff is. It can happen in all sorts of different places in different ways. Peacemakers are not seeking drama. But you know why? Because they have something bigger to live for than the drama. Nine times out of ten, most drama is stirred up by people seeking attention who are very, very unhappy with their life and don't have anything to live for. Peacemakers seek, as far as it depends on them, like Paul would say in Romans 12, to live at peace with others and then to help other people know peace with God. Now, I want, you, I want to be clear. There are people who are living happy lives who do not know God. They will not ultimately be happy, but they've been moral, 
happy people and even functioning, sometimes even acting and behaving more morally than, than believers, which is a sad, it's sad, but it's true. But they are not living at peace with God. And everyone needs to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And there is a better life ahead, something greater and bigger. And the son, we will be called the children of God because we reflect the children of God when we are peacemakers. And how great is it to be called a son or a daughter of God? That is what it means to be a peacemaker. Finally, Jesus wraps up this first section in verse 10 through 12 with this. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this is one... Got a dog. Her name's Molly. She's getting old. She's like 14 years old, almost 15 years old, okay? And when you say, there's certain words you say to Molly, and she'll cock her head like, hmm? Okay? One is treat, okay? She's like, hmm? Because she's like, she's heard it before, and she associates it with something coming out of this little, we have a little Tupperware container that's got like dog bone pictures all over it. I don't know why we had to buy it, but we got it, and we just, and she's like, hmm? You say bath is the other one. She's like, hmm? When Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted, I can almost see everybody in the crowd kind of cock their head like my dog. Like, hmm? You know what persecution is? Happy are those who are persecuted. That's one way you could translate that. That is a strange, strange statement. And then he goes on to describe that type of persecution. Persecution, by definition, is hostility or ill treatment because of race, political leanings, or religious beliefs. So that's what a pers- persecution is. Blessed are you when you're treated wrongly for your religious beliefs, for following me. And then he goes on and he, and he tells us more about what that persecution looks like in verses 11 and 12. Blessed are those when others revile you, which means they say things about you that are not true. And they say revolting things about you. And they say bad things about you. Blessed are you when others revile you, and they persecute you, treat you wrongly because of your faith. And then it says, and then they utter all kinds of evil against you on his, on Jesus's account. So the persecution is mostly in slander. It can be, can be seen in other ways. So blessed are you, people of God, when people Treat, Ill of you, treat you ill and treat you bad because you're following Jesus by faith and they say all sorts of bad things about you. Get, take this for an example. Let's say you decided to put a family picture up on Facebook, Instagram, whatever your chosen social media thing. And then, you know what happens when you put something up like that? You think it's real cute, okay? Uh, you know, we got Tom just had, they just had the baby. We got the Micah picture up. Imagine they put that picture of Micah up. Well, Tom, does, he's social media absent, but your wife is there. And so Bethany puts a picture of Micah, Micah looking all cute little dude. He is a cute little dude. And then all of a sudden, the notifications start popping up, the little red, you know, the little red things. And you go back to Facebook, and you, when you see that there's something in us that scientists have shown this. There was an endorphin release when we see a notification of, of a like or something, okay? All right, and so you get this, like, oh, you see, like, oh, you have 23 notifications, you're like, man, you're like, you got like a rush of endorphins, like, people love me, okay? So you click on the notifications, 
and all of them are the mad face. Like, it's Micah. He's super cute. And And then people are saying slanderous bad stuff about Tom and Bethany. Would you care? Would that that make you feel bad if that was you? People just saying, hey, you know, he's a jerk. I saw him punch a waitress. I mean, mean, whatever. (laughs) He didn't do that, by the way. But you know what I'm saying? Like, just saying all these terrible slanderous things on there. Would that make you happy? Would that make you feel like great about yourself and your life? No, it would be it would be a crisis in your life. If people are saying all these things, that's what Jesus says. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. And people speak all sorts of evil and revile you and do all this stuff against you. Happy are you, blessed are you of the kingdom. What? Why? Jesus says, here's the privileges of persecution. It says, verse 10, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, that's very important. (laughs) The persecuted for righteousness' sake. Many of us feel persecuted, and it's for the right reason, because we did something dumb, or we weren't being peacemakers, or we did something wicked. That's not... That's not what was me persecution. That's like, get what you deserve persecution. And how many times, Christian, you know, people have said, like, I'm just being persecuted right now. No, you're being, and it's for my faith. It's for this. No, a lot of times it's because you're a jerk or you've done something wrong. That's prosecution at that point. That's not persecution. That should be prosecution, where you are prosecuted for the things you have done wrong. So it's persecuted for righteousness sake. So it's very important that you understand this. If you're being persecuted and you think it's because of your faith, but you're just really a jerk, you need to be prosecuted. Not, you're not being persecuted. And what we have here is Jesus saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted and for righteousness sake, because you have a share in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes down in verse 11. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So it's not only for righteousness sake that you should be persecuted, but it's for Jesus. So it, he gives a name to this persecution. And he says, if you're following me and you're being persecuted, you're blessed. And then in verse 12, he says, you should rejoice and be glad. So he escalates why you should be glad about persecution. And then he says, why? For your reward is great in heaven. So you have heavenly rewards. And secondly, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So you have rewards and you have great company. Your great company is you are now in this cloud of witnesses of the people of God who have spoken for God and tried to live righteously for him. And that is what, that is the nature of those in the kingdom, that we are now emissaries, ambassadors of the kingdom, taking it everywhere we go, taking these weird countercultural characteristics out into this world, knowing we have these great rewards experienced now in part, but fully to come when Jesus makes a new heaven and a new earth. And part of that is a willingness to embrace persecution and a willingness to follow Jesus no matter the outward costs. Now, most of our persecution is just verbal in nature. But even just this week, the largest church in China Right after services, the cops descended. And by cops, I mean like the Secret Service of China filled the whole church. This church is called the Chongyi Church, and it has 10,000 members in it in China. At the end of the service, they detained the pastor and a whole bunch of the people. 
They eventually let the people go, and the pastor ended up in jail. I'm going to get his name wrong, but the, the pastor's name is Guy Yes. Okay? That's as close as I got. All right? Maybe I'm maybe wrong. They arrested him, and he is in jail now. He is in jail because he went against the Chinese government and, and tried to protest them destroying crosses all across China. They took about 10,000 crosses out of churches and burnt them. And that's why he ended up in jail. So there is real persecution going on all over the earth. And we ought not think it strange that we would experience at least some of that too if we're really following Jesus. And so much of our political life and our thinking as evangelicals has to go with trying to maintain our rights and trying not to be persecuted. And maybe we should take a breath it's fine to stand up for your rights, but maybe we should take a, take a breath and see. Persecution is inevitable. It's part of it. And we need to fight for the kingdom and not for our political system. And that speaks on no party's behalf, by the way. I just want you to know that. I just want to be very clear. If you are a part of this kingdom, the kingdom of God, that's where your citizenship lies first. All other citizenship should be held with, because God, or Paul does talk about honoring, give honor to whom honor is due, and we should honor our nation and, and those leaders that God has placed over us. Even God has even put in power poor leaders throughout history, but the hearts of the leaders are like water in his hands. And what should we do? We should have allegiance to the kingdom, and part of having allegiance to the kingdom is we will be left out and we will be marginalized at some point. And our thing is not to hold on to being slighted, but to realize that if we are persecuted for our faith, and not because of our unrighteousness, but we're persecuted for our faith, that we are falling in line with those who've gone before the prophets, and that we have a reward, and that we have a part in the kingdom. And I want you to get this. When you read these things, number one, they seem strange, like going to a different world. But if you have ears to hear and you have the Spirit of God inside of you, you look at these characteristics as beautiful. And you say, I want that. Just like when you see the, the vacation photos, you're like, I want to go there. I want to eat that. I want to experience that. When you see this with, with the eyes of faith, you say, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness and know God's satisfaction. I want to be merciful. I want to be meek. I want, I want to be persecuted, not because I want the pain, but I want, to, I want to express my faith in a way that no matter what comes, I am following him. I want these characteristics in my life, and I want to know God's privileges and his presence throughout all of my days. God, would you give me that? And that's what Jesus, he places for us stuff that is so top shelf, that's so high. You can't understand what God, who God is and what he has envisioned for those who love him. It's, such, it's so good. And so I'm hoping, just like when you watch a travel show or you hear about the vacation, I hope it births in every one of us a desire to be a part of the kingdom, to have the characteristics of the kingdom, and to know God's presence and privilege in the kingdom. So here's the takeaway. Which one of those really just kind of floored you? But you just say, that is not in my life, but I want that.
Which one of those Beatitudes? You might have said to some of you, maybe like, every one of them, okay? And I would be right there, okay? But there's definitely one of those that was like, like maybe it's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Or maybe it's being merciful. Because when someone does you wrong, you want to hit them with a folding chair, WWE style. I mean, that's, it's, it's in some, you're ready to stand up for yourself at any given moment. And maybe you need to exercise mercy and realize the outcome. Maybe it's meekness. Maybe you have a lot of spiritual pride. Maybe it's you're not poor in spirit or you trusting yourself instead of Christ alone. Which one of those today? Let's find one of those things. Confess your, confess your falling short to him. And say, and, and, and renew your commitment and desire to say, God, make this true in my life because I want to be a citizen of the kingdom who is useful in the kingdom until it comes. So let's take a moment. We're going to invite the communion team forward. And as we do, and Tom will come up and he's going to lead us in communion in just a second. We're going to invite them to pass out communion. And as they do, would you take that and would you say, God, which one of these beatitudes do I need to just get real with you about? And take some time in prayer, before we, and we'll take communion together in a minute. But take some time in prayer, getting ready for that. If you would, let's stand, and uh, we'll be dismissed in prayer. God, you're good to us. Help us to walk as sons and daughters of the, of the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.